This is games in schools and libraries. The podcast about board, card and digital games and the ways in which they can find a place in schools or at the local library. Hosting provided by the Games for Educators website www.g4ed.com Welcome to Games in Schools and Libraries. My name's Giles Pritchard. I'm a teacher at St George's Road Primary School in Shepparton, Australia. I use games in my 3-4 classroom as well as for our games club, our games days and many other purposes. You can also find me on my blog castlebymoonlight.blogspot.com or on Twitter as P. I'm Donald Dennis. I'm the librarian uh, for the Community Business and Technology Center at the Georgetown County Library, where we offer games and technology for youth, young adults, and uh, business assistance for pretty much anyone in the community who needs to uh, do stuff like fill out resumes or you know create business documents. Excellent. So how's everything been over there, Don? You know, it's a never-changing environment. Uh, I mean, sorry, the ever-changing environment of the library. <laughs> Some, sometimes it seems like uh, it's never-changing. But, you know, when I look at where we are now from where we were five years ago, it's it's really sort of amazing what's gone on here. So mm-hmm. uh, never a dull moment, uh, despite my best efforts. How are things down in Australia? Yeah, very good at the moment. I, I think I mentioned uh, last episode that we've just started a new homework program or a, a games program, I should say. Um, and that's going swimmingly, as they say. Um, and aside from that, yeah, everything's going very well. We're just moving into our summer, so warm weather ahead. And, uh, yeah, all all well. Excellent. Our, our seasons are kind of switched. So we're heading, you know, deep into the uh, the dark maw of winter. And yeah. uh, you've got bright and sunshiny days ahead of you. Indeed. Uh, um, do you uh, find it difficult to... Uh, I guess uh, this isn't going to be out anywhere near Christmas. So you'll be in the depth of summer probably by the time this releases. It probably will, yeah. All right. Well, I'll avoid too many seasonal references then. Um, All good. We uh, were talking on you know one of the other shows recently about uh, winning and losing and, and how that is, uh, is going on. I think that at some point in the future we should cover you know, uh, talking to the kids about winning and losing and whatnot. Um, just uh, as an aside, I think that that would be, you know, sportsmanship and, and other issues like that. I don't think we've covered quite enough. So, Yeah, game etiquette's a, a, big, uh, a big thing and, and probably one of the more important um, and more interesting things that, you know, games can, can help scaffold. Right. Um, well, very cool. So uh, what are we going to talk about today? What's our big topic du jour? All right. Well, today I thought we could have a quick uh, look at uh, some games that uh, can help with with basic mathematics skills. So I'm thinking of things like addition and subtraction, and to a lesser extent, division and multiplication. Now, most games uh, involve some level of uh, of this. Um, in fact, I'd, I'd go so far as to say nearly all games include some maths-related skills, whether that's uh, logic or deduction or spatial awareness or um, any of those sort of things. And certainly any game where you're scoring points, you're adding points, you're losing points uh, is a game that, that includes maths. But 
I think uh, it's worth special mention because games, because of that, because of that bent, can can be really useful in the maths classroom. So that's really where I'm coming from this episode. What about um, games, math, and the library, Don? Well, uh, first, I think I need to point out a cultural difference between uh, your your world and mine, and and that is that I think here at least general use and and I could be wrong and hopefully we'll have some some teachers from the US let me know if I'm if I'm completely off base but we use math as both the singular and plural and it sounds mm-hmm. like you you're putting an s on the end of math to make it maths is that correct we say maths yeah we say okay. mathematics and maths all right well okay so just let people know that either I'm clueless which is you know not beyond the realm of possibility or we do have kind of a difference there so um very cool. So, yeah, I, I have to agree with you that uh, just because games are a competitive activity and a lot of games have to do with sort of the difference between this and that, that whether it's a difference between your score and my score or whether it's a difference between uh, the board state at the beginning of the game and something that causes the end of the game, that, you know, at the very least, you've got uh, comparative mathematics or comparative numbers being an issue. And to get these numbers, you have to either be able to count or add or, you know, at the very least, understand what the difference between things are. So Mm. um, without a doubt, uh, you know, as much as I like to claim I'm the art guy, uh, math is a very important skill that that you just can't sidestep uh, if you're going to be playing games. No, that's exactly right. And I think for schools, uh, mathematics is is a really foundational um, part of their curriculum, obviously. Um, you know, there's always the the R's that are taught, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic are, um, the, uh, are always considered the things that are uh, fundamental to what a school does um, and are, are very important for that. And I suppose that, you know... It, Following on from that, one of the things that uh, I think is worth bearing in mind um, in this discussion, you know, I'm probably going to have in this discussion um, a, a pretty heavy focus on the use of games as a teacher and how they can infiltrate or be used in my my maths classroom. And um, as a result of that, I think one of the things to bear in mind or one of the things that's really important to think about is that games in that context are tools. They're not uh, something that you that you just use because they happen to be in the room. They're not something that you use to fill in time. They're not something that you use because you like games and, gosh darn it, um, if you can't fit them in wherever possible, they are a tool. And so with that in mind, I think that that um, you really need to consider uh, where the kids are at in terms of skill level, in terms of ability level, in terms of maths knowledge, um, and also uh, then what maths is included in that particular game, um, con- considering what it is you're actually wanting to teach. So when I tend to use games in my maths classroom and, and tend to use them in the ways that I'll be talking about this episode, I'm really thinking about games as tools. Now, sometimes those tools are, um, you know, just, uh, you know, is the way someone might use a, a worksheet or a, a quick game um, in, in, you know, any other classroom. Um, and sometimes they are used to, to introduce a concept. But 
but by and large, what we're talking about, at least what I'm talking about, is games used as tools, not as time fillers or as you know, a bit of fun. Right. Well, uh, that's certainly one angle to take, and, and I'm very familiar with this as a concept. But also, games can be used as a tool um, and, that are added on to actual learning. Um, and I don't know, have you ever heard of a site called Khan Academy? No, I haven't. Uh, for those of you not familiar with it, I recommend this as one of the best teaching tools that sort of has a game infused around it. And when I say game, you have the ability to earn achievement points and or earn achievements and things like that. So it's a little bit of gamification of the learning process. But uh, go to KhanAcademy.org and they have a huge selection of uh, and this is a little beyond what we normally talk about, but since we don't, I think, give enough love to electronics in this show, uh, you go on the Internet, you can use this, sign up for an account, and you can have teachers and students and, and show the relative relationships. And basically, the kids can take tests. And as they take the tests, they might earn special achievements or awards you know, through the website saying, congratulations, you did this, or you've had this big of a streak, or, or whatever it is. Um, and, you know, I think that uh, the gamification of actual learning is probably a whole nother topic. Um, but check out Khan Academy. But they've got a huge site on math. So if you're like doing Algebra 1 or even Basic Edition or anything like that, the guy who started this site basically said, uh, well, I was teaching my uh, nieces and nephews or niece and nephew how to um, do math and then I thought, well, I can just record this and, and then sh they can look it on YouTube whenever they need the information and it's there. And I found out they liked me better <laughs> um, <laughs> online as opposed to, uh, you know, talking to me on the phone about it. Uh, and so he, you know, started opening up to other people and it's become a tool now that um, it's sort of flipped the cat classroom where uh, the, a bunch of teachers, what they're doing, and not being a teacher, I don't know if this is considered a bad thing or a good thing or just something weird, is they go through and they watch these basic lessons, and then they take their test their, and show, look, here's the concepts that I've got, and so they can blaze through that stuff. And then the teacher knows who's really having problems learning what concepts when they get to class and look at your record, and they can help the students who really need the help and focus on those. And so they get more one-on-one -on -one time. And basically, they have the kids do their homework during the class and uh, walk around and help help the people who need the assistance. So it's it's a really neat tool. And the only reason I bring it up is because we're talking about right, math right now and because there's sort of a game element behind it. And you can track and see what the kids are doing. Actually, speaking of which, there's a similar website um, that, that I use quite often called Study Ladder. Um, and uh, if you just Google Study Ladder, you'll be able to find that, I'm sure. Um, and it includes a whole bunch of Flash games and things like that. You can sign your class up with accounts. They get individualised passwords uh, that can all be managed by the teacher and so forth. Um, and then you can assign your class or small groups within your class different Flash games and tasks and so forth based on on their particular ability level or point of need or, um, you know, whatever, whatever you... Um, feel that they need to do and and as they play those games they earn points and they can 
they've got their little um, character and they can buy them sunglasses and cool hats and things like that as they earn those points. So that that ties into that whole gamification of uh, or the use of use of use of technology and flash games and so forth to support learning. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, you know, it doesn't replace good teaching. It's it's as these games that we'll be talking about this episode, it's a tool that can be used to further um, kids education and learning who sponsors that site do you know is it uh is it a corporate site or is it just a, a group of folks or, or how did this come to be do you know i i actually don't have any idea i'm afraid to say oh okay well, sorry um the Khan academy is sponsored by uh google and bill gates is you know presented on it a couple times and uh you know so there is some money behind it from some companies but it's still basically uh, an independent site because you don't go there and get advertising on it for other things. And I think when you're sending your kids to sites, uh, especially at school, you really want to be able to control, uh, you know, who's advertising to them. That is very true. So, but anyway, we're talking about games, primarily board games here. So um, let's get into what we think. So I think that uh, with games, um, or you have a theory that, that that games don't replace teaching; they're just a tool. Is that correct? Um, look in this in this particular context, yeah. I mean, there are other times when I use games for different. Again, it's using games for different purposes. You know, when when it's time to have um, you know relaxing, you know, a bit of fun, a bit of socialization. Games are a great tool for that. Um, in this particular episode, since we're talking about something as specific as games tied to to maths learning, um, the way I'm thinking about it, and the way I tend to use them in my actual maths classes, um, I, I tend to revolve around two two core um, two core ideas, I guess, behind using them. Um, and the first of those really is that games can be used as a practice for particular skills. Now, that might be uh, simple addition, it might be simple subtraction or whatever else. We generally call these things um, in our school and in our region uh, fluency tasks, where the kids are practising something that they know how to do. It might be uh, challenging for them, but it's not an unknown skill. So they're, they're doing something that, that basically a repetitive task to, to consolidate learning that has already taken place. Um, so games can be a really, you know, short activity. Again, you don't want to be spending a whole hour on something like this. They're just short activity to uh, build that, that repetition, that fluency with a particular skill. Uh, and the other way that I, that I tend to use games, and this one is more rare, is to use the game as a vehicle for introducing a new concept. So this is a concept that the kids are not familiar with or don't know, and you use the game as a way of talking about it. Um, so to give a, an example of that, um, one of the things that I've probably talked about in previous episodes is using a game called Ink and Gold in my classroom. Now, in Ink and Gold, uh, you're a collection of... Uh, you, every player is an adventurer going on on a trek through an Incan um, pyramid, finding treasures on the way. There are disasters. If you encounter too many disasters, you lose the treasures that you've managed to accumulate so far. So you decide how far you want to go, how, how far you want to push your luck, or whether you want to turn back and, and just hold on to what you've managed to get so far. So that push your luck aspect is, is a really fundamental part of the game. But because of that, I think it's a, it, it can be a really neat 
vehicle for talking about probability, for breaking down the deck of cards that is the engine for the game and saying, look, there are 30 cards in this deck, there are 15 disasters, there are 15 treasures. Now, are you more likely, are you you less likely, are you equally likely to draw one or the other? And you play through a turn after turn after turn, um, and as it goes on, you can talk about how the probability has changed. And and that can be a really good way. At, at my level, what I'm wanting to introduce in that lesson is is that language of probability, talking about what's more likely, what's less likely, um, what's impossible, what's you know most likely. All that language is is fundamental, and knowing what that language actually means in use. So, um, you know, being able to say, look, we should turn back now because it's it's very likely that we're going to draw a disaster that is going to cause us to lose our treasures, or it's safe for us to push on and get more treasures because it's impossible, or it's highly unlikely for us to draw a disaster that's going to scupper our plans. So. Um, right. it, it's just a really neat tool for introducing that, that language and that concept. So for me, those are the two core ways that I'll tend to use games in my maths class. One is a fluency activity to, to that repetition, that, that building of fluency with a known skill. And the other, which is a, a far more rarer occurrence, where I'll use a, actually take one game and use it with the whole class as a, as a way to introduce a particular concept. There's a there's another hidden use for uh, the ink and gold game, and uh, I figured this out uh, when I was teaching it and using it with kids in the library, is that the guys who just stay in the game, and I use guys because we, we deal a lot with uh, boys coming in who also want to play video games, but uh, the, uh, the patrons who will come in and want to play this game and who just try and stay in until the better end and who always get wiped out but never end up with any gems in front of them at the end of the game, <laughs> those those are going to be the troublemakers that you have in class or that you have in, <laughs> in your facility because they don't ever know when to stop, whether it's they don't know when to stop pushing buttons or they don't know what is a good idea, but they just don't seem to understand the concept of what pushing their luck really is. And, uh, you know, you can hone skills with that, but it is a good diagnostic tool to figure out <laughs> who you might have to watch a little more closely. Well, that's a great discussion point as well to talk about, you know, the knowing when to stop and, and to not go too far, you know, consequence, action, reaction, all that sort of stuff. Right, right. Which we can probably discuss at depth in another podcast, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> in another episode. Actually, speaking speaking of ink and gold, one of the other things I think um to to think about from my point of view when you're looking at maths games is moving from um a concrete skill to an abstract a concrete um way of, of using a skill to an abstract way of using a skill and this is very simple um you know in the sense that you have um let's say two apples plus two apples. Well, if I've got my two apples on my right and I move another apple over, I've got three. If I move another apple over, I've got four. There's my two apples plus my two apples. That's concrete. I'm using actual physical things. In a game, that's actually picking up your piece and I rolled a three. 
one, two, three, counting it and tapping the piece on the board. Or in ink and gold, um, there's a division. So there are five people on the adventure. We found 15 treasures, 15 gems. Uh, how many does each person get? One for you, one for you, one for you, one for you. you. You're actually physically doing it. That's the concrete skill. And then you're moving all the way through to the abstract ability. So, you know, the, the knowledge that your times table is reversed is also your division, 15 divided by 5, we get 3 each. So you don't need to count them out individually. You just hand 3 out each. So games can be really useful um, to, to look at that development as well. Right. I think the whole point is is that what you're doing is you're turning uh, an abstract learning exercise into a practical learning exercise instead of simply saying, oh, look, we're going to have to know how to do this addition or we're going to have to know how to do this multiplication because it's good for you. Trust me, which never works with a lot of kids <laughs> to a look here. You're using this. It's useful. It's important to you right now. So maybe this will catch on a little bit better. And, you know, as long as it's got those hooks in it to say this really is important to you, kids learn a lot better. Some kids can do it where it's, hey, look, we want to uh, teach you this because it's important to you. Some children accept that very well, but others really need to be shown, look, this is important to you. And then it's not like learning. It's just like overcoming an obstacle for them. And I think, you know, that there are two there are two parts to that as well. There's there's you know you know, I can give uh, a group of my kids a worksheet in class and they can do thirty edition sums or I can sit them down and they can play a game and, and they'll do thirty, forty edition sums during the course of that game. Um, the same amount of work, but it's wrapped up in a game that's more enjoyable. There's also an intrinsic motivational factor in that, you know, they, they feel good about getting it right about, you know, about winning or doing better than they did last time or whatever it might happen to be. So there's a motivational factor that I think is really good. And peer pressure is a huge peer pressure is a huge motivational factor when dealing with games because if you're a child and you have to make this uh, like there's a game called uh, Loose Change um, or another one Exact Change where basically you're throwing out money um, or another one called Zeus on the Loose where you have to say here's the total before it goes on to to do that if you're getting that wrong all the time you've got you know, sort of a motivation to learn it so that you don't embarrass you. Because if you get something wrong in a group of four, five, six, twenty 20 children, then the other kids are going to let you know. No, no, that's not right. The right answer is. Um, and so you can sort of use, um, boy, you hate to say this, but you can sort of use the, the lack of decorum <laughs> um, from some of these children who are, children who are willing to correct uh, other people to sort of push forward the achievement level. And if you do it fast enough and you play enough rounds or enough games where it's not like, oh my gosh, every time I come up, I fail, then then they're going to be trying to uh, to learn these things. And just trying and really caring about learning something is a huge impact on whether you ever do. Yeah, and I think with that too, there's it, it, there's a peer to peer learning can be a very powerful uh, experience for kids. You know, they're not being told um, something by a teacher; they're being shown it by a friend, and that can that can have a positive impact on the way they view that particular learning. 
um, you know, as well. And going back to, you know, you're talking about that motivational factor, you know, making it real, I suppose, in some senses, you know, there's that whole thing about money in games as well, where we're, where we're taking, it's not just an intrinsic motivational factor of doing better in the game or winning or whatever it might be. It's actually, you know, being then able to apply some of those skills or see how they can be applied to more real world circumstances, you know, and, and particularly games that use money makes that that cognitive leap for the children a lot more easier. They can see the real world application for their ability to add up and take away money and so forth, you know, if they if they hadn't already. And, um, you know, games like, you know, Monopoly Junior, as much as it um, hurts me to suggest it, you know, is a great, great example of a game that uses money um, and that, you know, can be a, a great bridge to, the, to that sort of real world uh, understanding of the application of those skills. Right, right, right. Um, and there are a lot of games that, that are available now that, that help with those things. So you don't just have to go to the mass market games. I mean, if you think that uh, crass commerce is a horrible thing to teach your kids, then you don't have to go with Monopoly. But on the other hand, if you want to cheat, you know, teach them uh, skills about global economic domination, then then that's then those are available to you as well. <laughs> so, is there anything, Don, that you feel sort of needs to be added to that discussion? I mean, I'd love to get on and talk about a few games that I've used in the classroom and that I think are particularly, you know, good for for different things. But is there anything else that you feel needs to be added to this discussion? Let's see. We've talked about uh, games uh, to practice existing skills. I guess you called those. Um, I always forget that. What is what's the, that called? Tasks. The, yeah, you call those fluency tasks. And then we talked to uh, games for uh, learning or exploring a new skill, um, something that you really haven't. Uh, the children don't already know, and you're sort of introducing concepts to them. Uh, we've talked about games as a motivational factor. Um, and uh, games as the ability to exercise sort of an open peer influence uh, one way or the other. So, uh, no, I think we've hit the basic points on why math is great uh, uh, or math learning is greatly enhanced by games. So uh, let's pick some normal some games that people might have available to them and, uh, and see, what, uh, see what we can help our listeners with. All right. Um, well, I might just jump off. Um, I'll, I'll talk about um, two games quickly to start with. Um, these are particularly for younger kids, uh, quite young kids. In the first instance, it can be preschool to um, what we'd call prep, or th- these are about four or five-year-old children that I'm talking about. And it really, this can be applied to any game, including Monopoly. There are plenty of examples of it, but one of the ones that I quite like is a game called Piggyback. Um, and it's really just a race where all of the players uh, have pigs. They're rolling the dice, moving the pigs forward on the racetrack. Whoever gets to the end first is the winner. Uh, the key is that um, if your pig lands, uh, moves into a space with another pig, it doesn't go next to it, it goes on top of it. And if, the pig, uh, if a pig down the bottom moves, it also moves all of the pigs on top. Now, as fun and as interesting as that is, um, they, this is a great basic game for kids with what I was talking about before, that concrete counting skills um, and really a fundamental aspect uh, to, to me, two, two fundamental aspects to, to their a child's ability with, with mathematics, their ability to count, recognise number patterns and number facts and also uh, familiarity with place values. So piggyback is a really basic one for doing that, the very, very simple 
example, uh, this is the number, how many spaces forward do you move, sort of roll and move. So that sounds along the lines of, you know, maybe Batgammon or Sorry or Parcheesi or Aggravation, uh, those kinds of games where you're moving your pawns around the board uh, and trying to get them home and bear them off the board. Uh, There's another game that's available that I recommend in this category called uh, That's Life, and it's one where you put out a bunch of tiles down so it has a little more of a setup time, but the kids get the tiles if they're the last one to leave it. So you might have three or four guys... um, you know, scattered across the board. And if uh, everybody else has left it, when you leave that tile, you get it and it will have either a positive or negative point value on it. Uh, So they're thinking really well, where do I want to move and why is this number important to me? And so it adds uh, more numbers and math to, to the game. And, you know, you can either even teach kids who don't really know a lot of the math, just big number, good, uh, low number, bad, and, (laughs) and then, and then, Show them how you add it up when it's all done. And uh, then because kids, I've I've noticed that, you know, when you're playing games and they don't know how to do something in the game, like they don't know how to add up at the end and you show it that that drives them to want to be able to do that next time they play the game. Yeah. Another one following on with the the addition path is a game called Halley Galley. Um, now, this game uh, comes with a metal bell, so do be warned. It can Ooh. be a very noisy game, <laughs> like Pit. But um, the diff- one of the things that I've found, actually, is instead of the bell, I've replaced that with a, with a plastic fruit, so a plastic apple. Uh, and it, the idea of the game basically is it's a little bit like Snap. Everybody's flipping over cards. I flip over a card, then Don flips over a card, then the next player, and so on. If there is ever five of a fruit, if there's five bananas or five strawberries out on the table at the same time, um, whoever hits the bell first collects all the cards. If you hit the bell and there were four bananas, not five, or if there were six bananas, not five, then you deal the cards out to every other player. So there's a chance that you you can deal them out and and lose out. Um, Or if you get it right and you're fastest, then uh, you take the cards. And obviously the idea, as in Snap, is to end the game with uh, more cards than everybody else. So... I use that, uh, again, quick addition. It's that counting to five. Constantly the the, the game is changing. Um, so, you know, there's five, there, there might be three bananas out, then seven, then, you know, some get covered up and it goes back down to four and, and so on. And so you've got to keep track of what everybody's playing. You're, you're constantly adding and, and so forth uh, throughout it, and it's about how quickly you can do it. So a really good game for that one. Um, and... Hits a hits an older age level than than piggyback, which I was talking about before. So that's Halley Galley. Right. I'm I'm going to dive into dice games at this point. Uh, Combo King or Yahtzee, or you know a wide variety of games fit this sort of mold. Um, and the whole premise is that you've got uh, a selection of uh, results that you're trying to get on the set of dice that you have. And Combo King, it can be up to eight dice, uh, and you've got a handful of cards that say you're trying to get maybe four of a kind or, you know, a run or, you know, two pairs or whatever it is. And, you know, for that, you're going to get so many chips as your reward if you've succeeded at it. And if you fail, you bring it back into your thing. So children have to decide, well, is it worth the difficulty on this card to try and go for this really tough thing? Um, And with each card, you can talk a little bit about, hey, how likely is it that you're going to get this or that that result and it's, just, it's sort of a yahtzee knockoff and if you're not familiar is yahtzee called yahtzee in 
um, Australia? Indeed it is. Okay. Um, you never know. Sometimes they rename games when they're dis- distributed to different areas. And nice if you have all the other way around, though, down here. Oh, that, the, I, I never would have guessed. <laughs> no, I'm uh, uh, and uh, yeah, in, in Australia, the dice roll you. No. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so you've in, in Yahtzee, everyone has a score sheet of a bunch that they're trying to get. And in theory, when you play the game, it can be, um, you know, whoever gets theirs filled up wins, which I think takes far too long. Instead, if you assign point values to all the different combinations and say, all right, we're going to play for 20 minutes, and at the end, whoever has the highest value is going to win. And so it can be one kid can try for the high value and try for the difficulty, and the other children can try for, oh, this is the easy get, the easy get, and see who has the most points uh, at the end of the game. So that's dice games with its uh, rewards, difficulty, uh, odds, probability, whatever that you can use to figure out uh, what are the likelihood that uh, someone's going to win. Actually, speaking of probability and addition combined, there's another game called uh, Picomino. Um, And in this, it's a little bit like Yahtzee. You're rolling, I think it's seven or eight dice, um, and you then group them. So you group all the fives together, all the fours together, the threes and so forth. You can keep one of those groups, uh, and the the catch being you can re-roll the dice as many times as you want, and your score is the total of all of the dice that you've rolled so far. So, you know, if you've got three fives and two fours, um, then your you know your score is what 15 um, 23 so that that's the game progresses like that um, the key to it is obviously that you want to keep um, big groups of high numbers and so there's a little bit of probability in that do I take those fives now or do I wait and hope that I roll more of them later on um, and obviously if you if you ever end up in the position where you've rolled and you've rolled numbers that you've already got and there's nothing new that you can take you bomb out so you miss out that turn uh, the idea being that if you score a, a certain amount of points you can take one of the tiles that's out on the board and the tiles have a number of worms on them um, because for some inexplicable reason all the players are birds trying to get the most worms and the higher the number on the tile the the more worms that are on there so you're trying to get as as high a number as you possibly can there's a bit of as i said probability there's certainly a lot of addition in it and uh, is again a really neat little game nice um there's a game this makes me think is a lot of what we're talking about is scoring or comparing numbers or you know adding things up but there's a game called sleeping queens by game right and it's um one that i like to recommend as you know if people have uh, children and they're getting into games that this is excellent because this game was designed by a child and there's a great story about it that um, the designer of the game went to sleep one night had this dream and woke up and made the game with her sister um, after having dreamed about it. Um, but in Sleeping Queens, the way you play it is, you know, you're trying to get good cards in your hand, and then there are a bunch of number cards. And so you can either have action cards or numbers. So you can get rid of a pair of cards, which is, you know, just comparing numbers. Or if you can make a math formula, you know, like a 2 and a 3 and a 5, then you can say, well, 2 plus 3 equals 5, and you can discard all three of those cards. So uh, the kids are looking at the numbers in their hand, trying to figure out what the number is, and so then they can discard those and hope that they can get, like, the potions or the dragons or the knights uh, so that they can then, you know, try and capture queens 
uh, from other players or a king that'll let you pull them from the center of the table. And so Sleeping Queens is probably one of my favorite edition games because it, you know, you don't have to necessarily be good at edition to play the game, but to play the game well, you have to be able to construct your own math problems. Yeah, so you're looking at the the process there and and what that process looks like in practice. And I think, um, you know, sort of following on from that and getting into, you know, place value, number facts... Uh, a great game, and I often use this at the very start of a uh, of a maths class, just as a very quick activity to get uh, you know people people's minds zoned in on what we're doing. It's a game called Number Chase, um, and in this game you've got uh, fifty cards laid out in five rows, so numbers one to ten, then eleven to twenty, you know, twenty one to thirty. Um, and basically one of the players secretly picks a number. So I secretly pick the number, whatever it might be, and I don't let on. And then the other kids in turn take a, you know, take a turn at guessing what number it is that I have secretly picked. Um, obviously you could go on like that for a good long while, but as a number is picked, if it's the wrong one, you flip that number over. And on the back, it has an instruction. It says, is your number an odd number? And then the player who's, who's you know, picked the number says, yes, it's an odd number or no, it isn't. And so then the rest of the players know that uh, if it's an odd number, they're not going to pick anything that ends in a 2 or a 4 or a 0 or a 6. They're going to pick the, the odd numbers. So this one is really, really good for looking at number facts, looking at odd numbers, even numbers, number ranges, because sometimes it'll be, is your number between 16 and 32 or something along those lines. And as more of these cards get flipped over, it it flipped over. It narrows and narrows and narrows the the range of possible numbers that the person has um, secretly chosen. And so eventually, you're able to work out exactly what that number must be. So really, really neat little game. It doesn't take too long uh, to play. I play it as a class. I've got all of the numbers set up. Uh, on a big hanging sheet, and I just in, in pockets, I just pull them out and flip them over and read read what the new rule is, or have a kid read what the new rule is, and uh, we play like that at the start of most of our maths classes. It's just a really, it's a fun little, um, you know, five minute activity to get people thinking mathematically, so to speak. Right, right, right. Um, you know, we've talked about a couple of card laying games and tile laying games. There's one that uh, that I played a bit recently called Crows, and basically. Uh, it's a, it's a up to a four player game, so it might not be suitable for some classrooms, but for some libraries uh, or uh, small group activities, it would work well. Uh, basically, you've got a set of tiles that are already out, and then you're going to lay down on your turn. You're going to lay down another tile, and then everybody's going to put out their bling, um, and uh, which is a, a little gemstone, and you're trying to attract crows to you, and. Then based on how many crows that you get, you're going to get that many points. Well, some tiles that you can place your uh, uh, stone on, uh, it'll get you twice as many points. And other ones will give you plus two points or, or other modifications to your thing. There, there are special cards that you can get that will, that will affect your score at the end of the game. And so it's a nice little game that uh, you know will also figure out, well, if I go here and I go there, I'm going to be able to probably attract this many crows. Oh, but he's going that way, so I have to subtract half of the crows because I'm not going to get that many. And so there's a lot of hidden math in this game that really it is all about 
you know, maneuvering X number of points so that they get to your space on the board. That sounds like a good one. I've never played that. Um, moving away from addition, moving away from number facts, I, I, I'd like to just have a brief, um, you know, look at division and multiplication. Now, I talked earlier about ink and gold as, uh, you know, that game where people are on an adventure and they push their luck, they gain treasures. Those treasures that are found are divided between the, the number of adventurers still on the, 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 the adventure. Using a lot of the same word here, uh, a lot of alliteration, but it that that's a really good one for division. I'm not going to talk about that one though because we've already discussed it. Um, multiplication is another one, and a great game for this is Take It Easy, and this basically is a is a very simple game. It's almost like bingo. Everybody's got the same set of tiles, and the tiles are hexagonal and have uh, three lines across them, one going from top to bottom, one going a diagonal from you know top left to, to bottom right, and the other one going from top right to bottom left. Um, and then each one of those lines is a different colour and worth a different number. So basically, as, as I'm not explaining it, or I'm probably making it more sound more complex than it really is, all you're trying to do is, is as you lay the tiles down on the board, you're trying to create a line of a particular number. So... If you manage to connect um, the top of the board with the bottom of the board and it's a line of nines, you've got four tiles in that line of nine, then you score four times nine points. If you manage to, to connect uh, a row of three fours, you score three times four points. Um, and and it, it's a very, very simple game. You play it all at the same time. You flip over a tile and everybody takes the same tile and puts it on the board. Um, very, very easy but a great game for multiplication. Not a good one for younger kids because the actual process of working out what the score is at the end of the game can be uh, difficult because of the number of, of more complex multiplication sums, but a really good game. Gotcha. Well, all right. It sounds like we've given them a large selection of games. I've uh, hit my top few. Um, I mean, there are always more, um, but uh, you know, is there anything else that you really feel like uh, we need to share with our listeners? No, I think we've talked enough for this episode, Don, or I certainly have in any case. <laughs> so in any case, I suppose now's a great time to say if you if you want to know any more about the games we've talked about or if you want to uh, throw any more suggestions out there, um, please do so. You can find us over at uh, Board Game Geek website in our guild over there. You can find us at www.gamesschoolslibraries.com and, of course, over at the Games for Educators website as well. Uh, and we love feedback, so if you'd, love to, if you'd like to uh, write to us, then please do so, and that's at uh, schoolsandlibraries at gmail.com. So that's that, Don. All right. Well, thank you very much for having me on another exciting episode of the Games and Schools and Libraries podcast, Giles. This is Donald Dennis signing out. All right, and Giles Pritchard. Until next time, this has been Games in Schools and Libraries. Games in Schools and Libraries is kindly hosted by the Games for Educators website. You can find them at www.g4ed.com. You can subscribe to their newsletter, check out games through their game finder, and of course, it's the home of the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. Drop by and post comments on the episodes. We love feedback. Games in Schools and Libraries is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. To view a copy of this license, visit our webpage at the Games for Educators website.